Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Welcome back to the JSL Podcast. Hey, Brett. Hey, Emily. It's fun to be face-to-face and not over the phone with you. I know. I'm glad you're home, too. I am, too. It's just not the same when you're not here. I know. If I sniffle and sneeze a lot, it's because everything's blooming, and I have the bad spring allergy thing going on. I actually think it's kind of (laughs) sexy. I love it when you lose your voice. You don't like it when I snore. I don't like that. And you don't (laughs) like it when I snore. You always snore. Well, I don't, I don't hear it, so I don't think I do. Okay, well, today we're going to talk a little bit deeper about what is exploitation? What is sex exploitation? What is human trafficking? What is prostitution? What is sex work? Um, and we're doing that because it's it's been brought to our attention that we're talking about things that are commonplace for us because we're in the midst of this every day, but yeah. what we're realizing is that many of our listeners don't have a frame of reference for some of the things we're talking about. Right. And so we want to slow down and kind of dive deeper into this language and these issues that we're mm-hmm. talking about just to be a little bit more helpful. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's it's stuff that, you know, when you are in an arena, just like anyone, if you're working a marketing job or you're, you know, your nonprofit focuses on homelessness or your nonprofit focuses on food insecurity. There's common vernacular that you're used to and that you're accustomed to. And there's things you pick up along the way, pieces of knowledge and education that you have and that you kind of make, unfortunately, the assumption that everybody in the world is tracking along with you. You know, not everybody in the world is talking about the commercial sex industry. I know. On the daily. They're not doing it. Did you know that? I know. I do. I really do know that. I, this, I do know that, and yet I also forget. Um, I do think there's been an awakening. What we've seen over the past kind of 15 years is an awareness of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. I believe that 15 years ago when we began talking about this issue that um, churches were largely totally uneducated or terribly afraid a lot of times both, which mm-hmm. turns out fear and uneducation, you know, kind of go hand in hand. But now, you know, a lot of those spaces are becoming awakened to it. There is a conversation even within feminist circles about sex work. And so that conversation is happening. And then there's the travis- travesty of human trafficking that, you know, communities are becoming aware of, you know, child sex trafficking and labor trafficking. And so there are a lot more conversations about this. You know what, you know, it's interesting. I was just at Baylor university last night teaching a class in human sexuality. And I even said the phrase, I was given a little bit of history about Waco and Mm -hmm. the fact that we were the second legal red light district in the nation. Mm -hmm. And I just said it casually like that. And someone raised their hand and said, what is a red light district? Yeah. Right. 
yeah. and I didn't even have. I was like, everybody knows what a red light district is. No, yeah. this newer generation doesn't. No. Well, it's then, the internet. So then you you know everywhere's how, a red light district. Everywhere, yeah, totally. <laughs> but you know that it's human sexuality. I can teach this class pretty frankly and up front, mm-hmm. and you know I, I go there with them. And at one point towards the end, I was saying some things. And some folks kind of, they were snickering a little bit and and I spoke to it and I said, I think the reason why you're laughing right now is because you feel uncomfortable that someone said that phrase. Mm. The problem is no one's talking about it. You shouldn't feel uncomfortable with that. Mm. And she actually kind of shook her head and said, yeah, that's, Mm. that's, it, it feels so foreign to hear you talking so frankly about these issues. Yeah. And I said, that's part of the problem. Right. It's because we're not talking about them properly. Mm-hmm. Um, then people are doing crazy things, not understanding the ramifications of that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I wish the church in particular would be more open about talking about some of these things, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll get there. We're moving there. We're better Hell than we yeah. were 20 years ago. But yeah. Well, right now, and of course, this industry is always morphing and changing. Uh, We've definitely seen that too. Um, But there are some things now that we're aware of that we just kind of want to educate and talk a little bit about what is sex exploitation. So sex exploitation, or specifically commercial sexual exploitation, is what we're going to be talking about here. And this is what happens to anyone who is sold in the sex industry. It's where someone is making a profit and taking advantage of someone's sexuality or attractiveness for a personal gain or profit. Commercial means there's been some sort of money or good or drugs, something, housing. So it's not just money. No, it's any sort of good that can be exchanged for sex. So that is where the commercial side enters in. There's been some sort of transaction here. Now, is every person who is exploited through the sex industry a human trafficking victim, defined as a human trafficking victim? So at this point, we have to talk about what is human sex trafficking, right? Not just human trafficking, because human trafficking can mean labor trafficking or, you know, but what we're talking about is the issue of sexual exploitation and human sex trafficking. So not everyone in the commercial sex industry is trafficked. No, that we know of. No, not everyone in the commercial sex industry is a trafficking victim. But everyone who is trafficked is exploited, is exploited through the commercial sex industry. Yes, right. In some form or well, fashion. Because there's money exchanged. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. There's, human... there's, there's something exchanged. Sex trafficking victims yes. are typically come through the commercial side. Not all. Not all. Because some are considered sex slaves mm-hmm. where they're held captive. There's never money exchanged. Like you're, you've got a perpetrator. And I think this is what a lot of people think of for human trafficking. Like... Here's some, you know, crazy man who takes a a kid or a woman, locks them in a basement and uses them for their sexual gratification and how, you know, prison. And there, there is absolutely that. Now, if he never sells them, if he never, you know, if there's never an exchange of goods, if there's never anything like that, then, then that's not necessarily coming through like the commercial 
side. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If there was never a monetary exchange or a good exchange for that person. Um, So human trafficking under the Victims Protection Act is defined by using the means of force, fraud, or coercion to make a profit off of a person. So when we're talking about sex trafficking, then it's it's where force, fraud, or coercion is used for um, exchange of a person for sex for sexual um, for sex trade. And so what that looks like, let's just get real practical because we've been kind of definitions there. What that looks like then is <clears throat> I want to pay some bills in college and I'm looking for a job and I notice that there's a, a modeling job. Mm-hmm. And so I show up and they hand me a drink to just, you know, loosen me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out it's roofied. Mm-hmm. So I pass out. Right. 20 minutes later when I come to or whenever. Yeah. The Not peop- 20 minutes. Or however long, <laughs> I don't know. So then when I come to, the people say, hey, so um, while you were passed out, we took nudes of you. Yeah, or raped you or whatever. And we videoed it all. Mm -hmm. And so what you're going to do is you're going to do this for us Mm -hmm. or else we're going to release these videos Mm -hmm. on the internet and to your school and on Facebook. And now I'm at the mercy because I don't want that released. I was just going to go model swimsuit. And now all of a sudden I'm having to have sex. Right. So it can happen that way. It can also happen through Facebook, Instagram, Messenger apps where um, different people solicit and lure people into a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then that relationship becomes one that becomes a commodity to be exploited. So, for instance, we have a woman who met a, met a guy online and she lived in the Midwest. She was in the Chicago area. And he was from Texas. And they met on some sort of dating site. Got really, sent pictures, really were attracted to one another. You know, decided, hey, let's meet face to face. He said, you know, hey, babe, I'll pay for your flight down here. You hate your family. He'd also done a lot of lot of warming up to understanding her weak spots, mm-hmm. a lot verbally to kind of gain trust. Like, tell me about your family. Tell me what you like about your family, what you don't like. And once she divulged that, he had a lot more leverage. So, you know, hey, you hate your family. You know, why don't you come down here to Texas and I'll take care of you. I'll be the hero. So the guy's now kind of, you know, proposing himself as this knight in shining armor. So she gets down here. As soon as she gets down here within the, you know, he ends up, having sex with her, um, and then he ends up the next day taking her to the strip club and saying, well, if you want a place to live, this is where you're going to work, and you're going to come home, and you're, we're going to share the money, and this is how we're going to make money, is for off of you. Well, that's sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. I mean, he flew her across state lines. He tells her the only way, now that she's in a place where she has no family, no so that's yeah. an issue of fraud. Yeah, I it mean, a fraud, yeah, it was a fraudulent relationship. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he he didn't use a fraudulent name. He no, didn't. but but his motives were fraud. F- yes, they were sinister. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that it would it, it's trafficking um, for sure. Yeah, it's it becomes survival sex for her at that point, and so that's what we're learning is that. Statistically, 89% of women in the commercial sex industry say they want out 
but have no other means of survival. So I think it brings up the, for us, the question of, um, you know, when we, when we look at the commercial sex industry, which includes strip clubs, massage parlors, online escorting, pornography, webcamming, um, you know, those live chat rooms, the live, you know, where you're exchanging goods or money for that. Um, any time that, that that becomes your means of survival and your only way to put food on the table, you begin to ask the question of like, well, is this really a choice anymore? Like, yes, she does have a choice, but does she? Can we, can we start learning a little bit more about the context of her choices? Maybe like, why did she choose this? Like, why did she, quote, choose this life? You know, for a trafficking victim, they didn't. Right. There was no choice involved there. But someone who's not a trafficking victim, but who is involved in the commercial sex industry, why did she choose that? Why did she choose it? So then we have to look at, you know, what led her here. And what we know is that women who are impoverished or who are facing a financial crisis are always at risk for sex exploitation. They are among the highest risks of sex exploitation because the demand is there. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they know if they can't get the job at Starbucks or wherever, they can try to sell their bodies. They can at least take their clothes off or somewhere, something. Somewhere, some, somehow, you know, and it just becomes a really um, just horrific trap that they get caught in. So one of, one of the stories that I just think is really powerful too is um, we had a woman who she went with a friend to like a wet t-shirt contest at a strip club and she got up on the stage. She was a college student. She, you know, was enrolled at a division one. She was a business major. She totally innocently like sowing her wild oats, you know, gonna get up there and take my clothes off. And immediately she has attention. She has affection. She has attraction. She has money thrown at her. And she's promised in that moment, hey, if you come back and you want to do this again, you have full access. You've got a stage. We'll play whatever song you want. Our customers love you. Which for early 20-something yeah, is a drug in and of itself. Yeah, you're getting that ego need met, you know, of attention and affection and, and money. Well, and even in the moment of the act, you're getting that dopamine dump mm-hmm. of... People are yelling and it's fun and adrenaline. adrenaline's going mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, this is great. I'm sure there's alcohol involved, which yeah. is going to make you do crazier things. Yeah. So what she learned is that when she, she did go back and, and she was like, well, maybe I could just do this on the weekends just to pay a few bills. And so she goes back. But what she realized was, you know, customers were wanting more and more. And then when you're not the new girl anymore and you're not just the college student who's doing a wet t-shirt contest, you don't make as much money. You become... You know, you're not the top girl anymore. It's the new girl, you know, fantasy has worn off. And so she has these returning clients who then want to know more and want to get more out of her. Well, then it's like, well, can you come on a Wednesday night? Will you come on a Tuesday night? So now her weeknights are getting filled up with coming to the club. And what she's realizing is I can't work this late and stay awake in class and make good grades. So I need a little help. So she starts trying meth. You know, she starts trying drugs and then that becomes a trap to where she finally one semester shy of a degree drops out 
Mm. You know, and and it's just tragic. Um, and so you ask yourself the question: Then what was, what was the setup for her? You know, what what in was there a setup, or was it just a stupid mistake that let her keep going and going and going? But what for her was the choice to keep coming back to the strip club and keep performing? And, you know, what we learn in her story is that there was previous abandonment issues. There was a broken family system. There was um, childhood sexual abuse um, that had long been neglected. And so, yeah, that creates a setup. So over upwards and over 90% of the women we work with have all experienced childhood sexual abuse as a child, which is just grooming you to say, this is what your body is made for. Your body was made for the pleasure of a man, you know, or mm-hmm. the pleasure of a woman or, you know, but your body is a sexual object and this is, this is really all you're good for. And so when you are abused and introduced and over-sexualized from an early age, that becomes part of your wiring and part of your makeup um, to also run and re-traumatize over and over and over again. Which goes back to our parenting discussion mm-hmm. and my biggest frustration with putting body issues, particularly on girls mm. in terms of, um, we don't want to call it shaming because we want to call it modesty. Mm. Um, when in reality, there there's a, there's a measure of shame that's attached to it. So we're having the youth group swim party. Girls, you have to wear a one-piece and a T-shirt. Boys, <laughs> you can wear shorts, and your heaving teenage pectoral muscles are fine to be out in front of everyone. <laughs> why do we do that? Why, I mean, why is our culture grooming? Like yesterday, I had a student ask the question. You know, she was in a group, and she said, the guys in the groups were these athletic girls walked by and right there in their group project, they're just talking about those hot athletic girls who went by. And she said, I just laughed along with them because my thought was guys will just be guys. Mm. And I said, darling, I'm so sorry that our culture has groomed you to think that way, but you shouldn't think that way. It's not okay to speak about women as objects mm-hmm. when they walk by mm-hmm. and just to casually and freely say that, look at that piece of ass or look mm-hmm. at that, this, that, or the other, mm-hmm. but we've made it okay in this country. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a whole other podcast, Brett. <laughs> I'm just saying it is well, a deep, just... it is a deep rooted misogynistic pod. I mean, discussion that would absolutely you know, be worthy of, of why we're in the predicament that we're in. Yeah. And, yeah. and we've got to quit politicizing that too. Oh man. You it's, hear the misogynist word and people think you're liberal. Oh, well, or just truthful, <laughs> you know, let's just, um, so I think that a common, common misconception, which is what we kind of alluded to and talked about. Did she choose to be a prostitute? Mm hmm. I get that a lot in my stop yeah. demand class. Yeah. I get well, guys. She chose this. She chose this. And well, you she, even had a John say. Well, I had she a, doesn't have any rights. Yeah. He, he said she doesn't. Uh, I had asked the question. So does she have rights? And he said, no, she's, she's like cereal. Mm. You know, I walked down the aisle and I'm going, do I want fruity pebbles or honey bunches of oats or 
Cocoa Puffs. He doesn't even know how explicitly he's objectifying. He's her, just right? saying that practically. He's it's now just, comparing. Well, it's this just woman that's what I cereal. want. Okay, I want Cocoa Puffs today. And so he goes to buy Cocoa Puffs, and wow. then Cocoa Puffs doesn't want to be Cocoa Puffs. So then he gets mad because for him, he bought Cocoa Puffs. He wants that. It's transactional, and for her, mm. she didn't want to do She's that. She's a human. She's a human who has feelings, and <clears throat> and, and so. For that man, he could not reconcile in his mind, mm. how is she a victim in this? Mm. She put her ad out there on Backpage or whatever and platform. There, and there's the question. Did she? Did she? Did she put her ad out there? Did her Who, pimp put did it her out pimp there? Did put it out there? Did, you know, and a lot of trafficking victims, so what we're understanding, one of my friends just called last week after hearing Linda's story, and she was just like, so, you know, is is a prostitute a human trafficking victim? And I was like, sometimes, a lot of times they are. We have women who are 28 years old, have had three kids, and once they start recovering their... We meet them in a strip club or we meet them from a referral from a drug rehab or family abuse center, and they come to our program or they get involved with JSL somehow, and suddenly we learn that this woman who now has her own family who is struggling with schizophrenia, with bipolar disorder, multiple diagnoses. From the time she was, you know, 12 years old, probably even before that, because she doesn't remember before that. But at 12, she remembers her mom had a drug habit. She would go get the drugs down the street from the dealers, bring it back to mom. But when she started and she hit puberty at 12, she no longer had to carry her mom's money down there. She now just carried her own body. And her own body became the money that the and the drug, you know, dealers would rape the girl, would rape our client, and then she would go back and give her mom the drugs. So so her mom became her first pimp. Right. So now she's just working in a strip club. She's like, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not in the commercial sex industry. But we recover her story. And we're like, Whoa, you are a trafficking survivor. And you have outlived the average life expectancy for a trafficking survivor, for a trafficking victim, is seven years. And so now she's 28 with her own kids. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Seven years because they may commit suicide, they may be murdered, they may overdose. Right. One of those factors. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And, And nothing's changed. So when we look back, when you mentioned Waco's history in the red light district, you know, a lot of the women who were in prostitution then died of disease or suicide or violence. And and I don't know that that's changed. Well, it hasn't. I mean, I just listened to a podcast um, a couple of weeks ago that was uh, very eye-opening. It was gut-wrenching. But it was, it was about uh, one, a super famous porn star who committed suicide uh, maybe two years ago mm-hmm. at the age of 23. Yeah. And the podcast interviews several of her friends and her husband and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And the um, the premise was she killed herself because she got bullied on Twitter because she took a stance on the types of scenes that she was going to do. Mm-hmm. And so people came b- back and called her homophobic and all mm-hmm. these terrible things and it went crazy. And so that's what they said is why she committed suicide. Mm-hmm. What was interesting to me is one of the actors that they interviewed, who was currently an act, a porn actress, said at any given moment, 70 plus percent of the porn industry, the actors in the porn industry would commit suicide at any given moment. 
over, she said, I'll bet my life over 70%. Hmm. But that, but it's art. So, so her reality was at any given moment that these actresses and actors are struggling with suicidal ideation, that they've all. Both men and women. Men and women. In this industry Mm -hmm. that we want to protect and we want to claim first amendment and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. But they're still walking around with these trauma triggers Mm -hmm. and you know, what they uncovered was the girl who committed suicide. Her, her trigger was her final scene Mm. and it, what it was supposed to be a particular kind of scene. And it turned into a rape scene because rape scenes are the fastest growing popular genre of porn today. So guys want to watch people be raped. We're just obsessed with violence. And so our, whether our whether you're being paid to be raped or you're not, the trauma on the brain is the same. It is. Yeah. And yeah. So and that brings us to the question of, you know, what does porn have to do with human trafficking? It's part of the sex industry. Mm-hmm. There are many trafficking victims who come through the porn industry that are there because they've been coerced or they've been manipulated. It's fraudulent and they end up getting stuck there. Yeah, the, the stat is uh, 70% come through the commercial sex industry. Right, 70% of trafficking victims. Yeah. But that doesn't, that includes porn and strip clubs. That right. doesn't mean. The 70% of porn right, right, people. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make that distinction. But what porn does have to do with human trafficking is what we know now from sources like Fight the New Drug and, and a lot of even um, uh, just what we know of Exodus Cry. You know, what we're learning of, of a lot of the fuel and the demand for trafficking victims is because porn is like kerosene to this issue. Yeah. It fuels and it's changing the way our brains perceive humanity, particularly perceive women, um, because still like a, over 80% of the top porn films express explicit violence, overt violence against women. Verbal and physical. Verbal and physical. By men mm-hmm. towards women. Well, and I think of one, uh, John, that's come through our Stop Demand School, a very well-dressed guy. He, he didn't look like he fit in. And at the lunch break, we were chatting, and I said, so tell me your story. Why were you here? And he said, I'm a, I'm a physician mm. at a big hospital uh, in a different city, and um, I have a raging porn addiction. Mm. He goes, I'm at the top of my career. I have all the money in the world. My wife's a doctor. We don't, you know, it's none of that. Um, my porn addiction got so crazy that my wife didn't want to do what I was wanting to do mm-hmm. and reenact things he had seen. And so he decided, well, maybe I'll just go buy someone to reenact those scenes that mm-hmm. he really liked. And it wouldn't harm anyone because it's purely transactional. Mm-hmm. That was his rationale behind buying a prostitute. Yeah, And he had completed transactions four times before. Mm. And the fifth one happened to be the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. And so that goes to show you that anyone, number one, anyone is susceptible to falling prey to buying a prostitute, Mm -hmm. that your addiction can become so overwhelming that you rationalize, well, this won't harm anyone. Yeah. And my wife will never find out or my husband will never find out. 
and they put their name out there so I'm not harming them Mm -hmm. and I can get my fantasy fulfilled and they can make some money and everybody wins. Mm -hmm. That's the lie he believed. Mm -hmm. And then he found himself in jail. Yeah, there's no description. Like this industry doesn't discriminate against, you know, classism and stuff. I mean, like it's appealing to all people because in our culture, especially, and we're talking about like American culture for sure, because we have mainstreamed this type of exploitation. Oh, I mean, you have Kanye West sitting on uh, Jimmy Kimmel saying he reviews uh, Pornhub almost nightly just to see, just to catch up with what's going on. And instead of everyone going, what? Everybody laughs and applauds and, you know, it's, we've, we've made it commonplace to, to talk about and to, to just do, it's okay. Yeah, Yeah. It's okay to do that. And I just don't, I don't think we understand that humanity is at stake, that what this is doing, it's, it's when we talk about, and I, I mean, Brene Brown talks about language and how language is the beginning of dehumanization, either humans, you know, when we begin to devalue each other with language, that then that erodes the fabric of humanity. And it, and it does begin with language. And I would also say that, because particularly concerning this issue, that viewing porn changes and desensitizes you to a mutuality in, in humanity, a mutual respect, because... So much of what you're viewing on porn, first of all, it is not, you are not interacting with another human, mm-hmm. period. Like, let's just, let's just start there. You are having a sex encounter with a computer that cost humans on the other end. It's when they are reenacting those sex scenes, it is a re-traumatization. That's what that sex scene is doing. And it's re-traumatizing you because for you to be watching it over and over and over again, you're giving yourself away that there's probably some underlying trauma. Well, and you're also changing your brain to uh, tell this. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you as the user of porn. Right. You know, there's there's three hormones involved. There's uh, adrenaline, there's dopamine, and there's oxytocin. And so when you have the complete sexual experience with another human, all three are released. Mm-hmm. And oxytocin is the big one because it kind of completes the circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, when you watch porn and you masturbate to porn, mm-hmm. there's no other person involved. Well, mm-hmm. adrenaline and dopamine are released, but oxytocin is only released in human contact. Right. And so when that's not released, now your brain begins to like the dopamine because that's the pleasure hormone. So give me more dopamine and adrenaline. Mm-hmm. It's a rush. Am I going to get caught? You know, da, 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 da. Now all of a sudden. You've activated the center of the brain that is the same thing as when a drug user takes a hit of crack. Yep. Yep. And now the average age of viewing porn is nine. So think about it now. You've, you've, you've been exposed to porn at nine. You now are watching it. You get to your 20s. Your brain has been rewired. Mm-hmm. And so now it's your wedding night. And you're presented with your partner. And your body doesn't know and what to do. And you're talking about this from an evangelical abstinence kind of or, or standpoint. What, I mean, what, you maybe not your wedding night. night. That's maybe what maybe it's your, your sexual experience with a person. <clears throat> and your body doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Because this is a foreign thing. 
And, and that's why it's harmful. I, again, it, you know, I try to, when I'm in these classes with, with Baylor students, try to not talk about it from a moral standpoint, mm-hmm. but from a scientific standpoint that, do we really want to just spend the rest of our lives having sex with ourselves, watching a screen? Mm-hmm. Right. I don't, maybe, maybe there are people that enjoy that. So that's, but, and that's one aspect of it. But I think that what it costs on the other side of that screen are things that we have so little understanding of still because it's still so mainstream and it's still so accepted that, that, that for really women and men who are coming out of the industry, which are a few are coming out and kind of revealing what's really happening behind there and who's really behind and who's really making the money. And, and is it regular? I mean, is it regulated? Are we really like taking care of the women in and men in the porn industry, like, can you really say that they're receiving the very best health care? Because that's what they were trying to say, you know, when prostitution was legal too, and and that's not happening. Right, it didn't so, happen. So hearing you say, I have a couple of things that are that are coming up in my head, and and the first one is there's a great documentary on Netflix called Life After Porn. Um, it's not kid friendly, so if you're an adult, you need to watch it um, with adults. It follows the story of four famous porn stars and their life after leaving the industry. And all four of them, for various reasons, there's only one who's a Christian on there, so the rest are, mm-hmm. are from, not from a spiritual standpoint. Mm-hmm. All of them have traumatic endings in their story. One is a man as well. Mm-hmm. And they all, he's probably the most vocal about mm-hmm. the harmfulness of porn. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the second thing is... Um, uh, fight the new drug. Mm-hmm. They have some porn star stories mm-hmm. um, on their media sites. Mm-hmm. On and you can hear straight from someone who's been in the industry, yeah, who fought for the industry, right? And they're walking away, going, "I have scars mm-hmm. that will forever be scars on me." Yeah, you know, and I think it just the more we know about this. I was just telling my friend that, you know, I don't walk into. I remember a couple of years ago when I went to Vegas for a girl's, you know, trip and a friend's birthday and there there wasn't one thing I looked at the same. You know, even in all like we're just there, we're laying out by the pool, we're eating nice restaurants, but we're we're suddenly being ranked and we're suddenly being recruited as this group of women to come to a club and sit at this VIP table in this prominent space sheerly based sheerly based on what this industry has deemed beautiful, acceptable, and has monetized. Right. Like, Because if me just, and my guys were sitting at that table, we ain't getting brought no, behind the ropes. <laughs> no, you're paying. Like, you're the ones that, that they're trying to say our club is worth more money because we have beautiful girls. And so, so, so you know, femininity and, and females there are monetized just by looking at you. They're cashing. They're they're putting a dollar amount right. on if you. Right. If we can Just get you there, then we'll make more we'll money. Make more money. That's what I'm saying. And so, nothing about this work goes. You know, I can't set it aside because it now I see it everywhere. I see it everywhere, and it doesn't mean I'm like a crazy freak and I don't let my kids like go on dates or go to the movies alone. Yeah, or not, go, we're not prudes. And they, they're on social media as well. 
But it does mean that that we're talking about this with them. And we're like, hey, when you get a notification that someone is requesting to follow you and it's this older man and you don't understand where he's from or like, no, you block that. You don't let those, you know, or if you get a direct message that solicits this, report it. You know, if you get boob shots, you know, pictures well, sent to your you DM. you got the one sent to you two days ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you just, you have to report. So I'm just constantly saying like, report the ads, report the ads, because it is such a rampant issue that has affected and is affecting restaurants. I mean, where does exploitation happen? It's happening everywhere. Can we talk about marketing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, if your perfume is as good as it is, Tom Ford, Mm -hmm. why do you need to put it in front of a naked vagina? Right. I I know. But why is that? Somebody help me with that. Well, it's sex cells. Well, now it's not just sex cells. It's hypersex cells. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's let's get as close if not beyond the limit, because now we have marketing that happens that's kind of off the TVs, that may be the full-on nudes. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like, how many ways as humans do we have to contort for the dollar? Like, how how many injections? How many extensions? How many pounds? How many, like, how what do I have to do? How do I have to change... My shape? How do I have to change my eye color? How how many contortions do I have to make as a woman and now even as a man too in order to to just be? Well, and, and now what we're seeing, and this is interesting, because of that, now we're seeing people feel the need to post their unkempt bodies as a way of saying, I don't a have rev- to have a that. revolution, right? Like yeah, I just, posted the right. picture of my belly. And was just like, this is God's glory on earth. Yeah. My stretch mark belly. Like, here you go, Instagram. Because I am. I'm I'm tired of the porn-infused Kim K world that says that midsection has to be tight, flat, firmed, and tanned mm-hmm. in order for it to be acceptable to go on a beach with or to go, you know, it's it's like it has become this crazy standard that no one, no one thrives in, you know? So yeah, the exploitation, the mainstreaming of, of pornography has really led to some really interesting, you know, uh, results. Yes. And you know, porn has fueled a lot of this. It's porn fuel, porn fuels human trafficking. It does. Porn fuels prostitution. Yeah. When we, porn fuels demand. When we look back at the history of porn, what we, what we can look at in the history of, um, if you do a timeline of porn and the timeline of commercial sex industry and exploitation and human trafficking, it's just like up, 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 up. You know, it just, the introduction of still images, then the introduction of full nudes, then the introduction of video porn, then the introduction of web-based porn flies, trafficking and sex exploitation flying through the roof because it made money. Do you think the Supreme Court, and I don't remember the year off the top of my head, but do you think the Supreme Court knew what kind of Pandora's box they were opening during the Larry Flint trial Mm. that was the moment that was the okay hustler magazine because before that it was you know it was hugh hefner but it was the print 
right. model. It was the topless model. It right. wasn't. It wasn't sex mm-hmm. in terms of watching intercourse or oral mm-hmm. sex or this or the other. Yeah. It was that Larry Flint moment where he turned it, mm-hmm. but he kept it under First Amendment. It's freedom mm-hmm. of speech. These two actors are consenting adults choosing to have their intercourse session filmed and consenting adults who want to watch that should have the freedom because it's freedom of speech. Right. And the Supreme Court sided. And on one side, you can go, okay, yeah, yes. Right. But do you think the Supreme Court knew at that moment that they were making a way, they were opening a door for this thing called human trafficking? Well, no, just like I don't think that Amsterdam knew and they said, well, maybe we can protect women more by legalizing prostitution. When really all that did, what we know research-wise is that where prostitution is legalized, human trafficking actually increases yep. because you have a cover for pimps and traffickers. And it is much harder to protect women in countries where prostitution is legalized yeah. fully. You know, And so they're now rethinking that because they've seen an increase in all sorts of criminal activity. And so it, 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 is, so, it is so complicated, but I don't know historically of one culture that has said, we believe the very best for women is to be able to sell their bodies for sex any way that they want to. I haven't seen one culture do that where women are thriving economically, socially, in government positions, I, I don't see it. I, I, and so that's why I think, you know, there is no federal regulation on prostitution. It's state by state yeah. here in America. So there is no, there's no, that's why in certain pockets, you know, outside of Nevada and some counties, there's legalized prostitution. And there hasn't been no federal law on it. And that, that is a hard one, mm-hmm. you know? We have to determine state by state what we want. And then even beyond that, we have to determine city by city what sexually oriented businesses, what those businesses can, how they can operate. That's right. What's the code there? So I think the main thing that, that we want to, to, to say and that we've kind of been understanding is that the selling of sex, we, we do not believe that we were made to be sold any more than, than humans were ever made to be sold in the terms of any kind of slavery, any kind. We, we weren't, we do, we cannot be, humans cannot have placed on them a monetary value. We are immeasurable. We are invaluable. So there is no way to place a human as a commodity, right? So we believe that. We also believe that sex is divine. We, sex is not made to be sold because it's part of the human spirit. Mm-hmm. It's part of the, the core of humanity. And so we have to protect that, you know. And, um, and any time a woman, and especially a woman who feels that she is impoverished and is economically and socially disadvantaged, it should not be the only choice she has to sell her body. Which takes me to Linda's interview Mm -hmm. when she said, hope, and then there's no hope. I have hope in the program, Mm -hmm. and then when the program's over, what's left for me? Mm -hmm. There is no hope. So then the cycle continues. Mm -hmm. I go back to the drug, and I get the drug by selling my body, Mm -hmm. and so on, and so on, Mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. Where's the answer? 
Yeah. And the answer is somewhere in that not hope. Yeah. We've got to find that the answer to the not hope. And I think we're still learning about that. I mean, I think we're still evaluating and looking at our, you know, measurables for how is that, where does access, where's that program failing women? You know, where's that helping women? What did it do well? What did it not do well? Um, and then we're looking organizationally as a whole, like at the big issues, like, where in the world, yeah, where is the, because we know recovery from this industry is lifelong. We know it doesn't happen apart from community and it doesn't happen apart from job and economic upward mobility. Those two things have to be in place. They have to be. I mean, even if you're talk, even if you just want to say, well, but they just need Jesus. Even Jesus knew you got to go harvest a field. <laughs> even Jesus knew you, you got to work. I mean, he's given you a talent. You know, he's given you a treasure. The one that hit it, he he got like booted out. But you know, <laughs> Jesus is like, no, that guy didn't do anything with it. Give me the guy who goes and turns a prophet three times. You know, there's there is a theology of work that's beautiful and that we know we're created with. We know that you know is in us to steward well, and so we know dignified work is is what it's going to take alongside long-term, stable, healthy community in order for this issue overall to change. We, we have to have more options for women and children in our communities in order for society as a whole to change because they are the ones. They're, now, boys being exploited sexually are on the rise. Mm-hmm. Who had the boy? The, the women. <laughs> a mama. Where's the mom? Where is she at? You know, and so, I mean, we, we have to do when you are helping your women and your children and communities, you are helping the whole of humanity. That's pretty good right there. Thanks. I think it's a good discussion. I do. And I I feel like we were kind of all over the map today, but I I do think we got to continue these discussions and I, I would invite you the listener, if you have questions, if you're, if we're Did saying, you say, the listener, I said the list. I thought I said the <laughs> listener. Oh, yeah, no, I was just trying to be, kind of be suave and saying <laughs> that. If you have questions, like if we're using terms that you don't know, please slide on into our DMs and let yeah. us know what's going on. I mean, you can email us, Brett, B R E T T, at Jesus said love.com or Emily, E M I L Y, at Jesus said love.com. We answer it. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts That's on the, right. what 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 are you what do you what do you want to hear about? What do you want to understand more more regarding sexual exploitation or anything for that matter? But um, specifically with this population, we know that there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot still to be understood. There's a lot we're still learning and we're listening to along the way. So, I hope today has been informational. I hope that it's been educational, and I hope you'll join us back again. I hope I get to sit across from you again real soon. Okay, we'll do it. And you're going to say your little statement? Well, we usually do it back and forth. Oh, okay. (laughs) Always remember. Always remember. Share. The love. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review Yes, because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. 
and visit the website at jesussaidlove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.